The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. We're in a series called This Absurd Life, and uh, this is, I believe, week number six, I think, if you've been around for a while. And uh, we're just taking a look at the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Uh, turn it on. Turn it to Ecclesiastes. We're also going to put the scripture on the screen today for you. Um, last week, uh, Tyler, who was just up doing announcements, uh, preached for us, and he was in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 12, talking about the seasons of life. Didn't you enjoy that if you were here last week? It was so good. It was good for me. I reflected this week on the season of life that I'm currently in, and um, the, the last little bit of life has been extremely busy, and uh, no, no sympathy needed there. Uh, I, in fact, like being busy, and so um, this week, we're going to take some time, a couple days this week, and go on vacation with my family. You guys can pray for us. Uh, I'm renting an RV. Okay. if you know me, you're like, that may be a bad idea, Matt. And uh, I'm, I'm doing it because my kids are infatuated with this idea of vacationing in an RV. I'm infatuated with the idea of room service overlooking the ocean, okay? Uh, this is not my idea of a great vacation, but my kids, this is my sacrificial offering as a dad. And so I'm pretty excited to take a couple days. And so we were looking for the place, a place to park the RV, right? Like you just can't go to Walmart. That's not really a vacation or, or or, or Home Depot. So <clears throat> we were looking for a place to park the RV, and my wife was like, Oh, this is a really cool beach spot uh, right up the coast. This will be amazing, but your cell phone won't work. And I'm like, Oh, that, that's not going to work. Like, this is a crazy season of life. Uh, we're trying to hire two people at church. We got an event with 2,000 people this weekend. Easter's coming up. Like, I, I, I got to have, have cell phones there. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, the idea, there's like this love hate relationship that I have with a phone, and you probably have it as well. Like, it's good to be connected to family, like, to get all the information that you need. And then there are these other moments, right? Where you're like, oh my gosh, this feels like somebody stuck an IV in my arm and they're just poisoning me every time I turn on my phone, right? Like, like, like the only reason my phone exists sometimes I feel like is to give me like front row tickets to all these horrific things that are happening around the world, right? And so, um, and so Solomon arrives at this point um, in life. He's like, he looks around and he sees all of these things happening. And he sees all of these horrific events and all of this tragedy and all of this injustice going on in the world, all of this evil. It's like he keeps turning on his phone and everything he sees is injustice and evil and all of these things happening. And he's wondering why does injustice happen in the world and how can we bring about justice to these causes and these situations and these scenarios. And Solomon arrives at this point that we're going to look at today in scripture. And uh, he's got this idea. He's going to pop posture this idea to us. And he's going to say, like, like, like if, if you're fighting for justice in this world, Solomon's going to say at some level, you're going to realize that full injustice is impossible to attain under the sun. And it drives Solomon mad. It drives him crazy. And he's going to arrive at this point where he's going to put a stake in the ground. It's going to be like this major theme that's going to emerge in the book here. And so I'm excited for us to walk through it today. Let me pray for us, and then we'll just jump right into Ecclesiastes 3. Jesus, this is your word this morning. Um, God, this is your church, your people, your city, God. And so I pray that you would speak to us deeply. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said, amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 16 this morning. And this is what the scripture says. 
And I saw something else under the sun. Now, if you've been around here for five weeks, you've heard us talk about this phrase Solomon uses. Let me just repeat it one more time if you're new. Um, this is Solomon's using this phrase to describe his perspective on life. This is a man who's walked with God. Now he's walked away from God. And now his perspective that he's going to give, he's going to write to humanity, this letter to us to instruct us, is this perspective that does not include God. So in other words, there's, there's two ideas. this under the sun's perspective and the over the sun perspective, if you will. The over the sun is God's perspective. Like it would be the lens that we would look at life through if it included God's perspective. But Solomon's saying, I don't have that perspective right now. I'm just teaching you and instructing you from this point of view that does not include God. So you need to understand that before he says some things because you're gonna be like, wait a minute, does the Bible really believe that, okay? And so Solomon says, and I saw something else under the sun. He says, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of justice, what does he say? Wickedness was there. Just pause for a moment. We're going to walk through these verses together here like we've done for the past five weeks and just make this, this statement, sort of the statement that Solomon's also making. We're, we're sort of living at a time even more so than even Solomon was. If you, if you understand um, the idea of information doubling, in 1900, information doubled about the rate of every century. Um, in, during World War II, information was doubling every 25 years. Today, information doubles every 12 months. Um, the Internet of Things is supposed to usher in this time where information literally doubles every 12 hours. I cannot keep up, right? And so we understand this, like, like, like we have all of this stuff coming to us. We can see um, the news feed coming up on our phone. And, and so we live at this time, even more so than even Solomon did, where it's so easy to become discouraged because we look around and all we see are all the ways that injustice is prevailing in, in our culture, Right? Like you have politicians who are making actions and decisions um, and they're not held accountable for their actions and decisions and it's sort of swept under the carpet and they're no longer accountable for the things that they say and the things that they do. Somebody gets wrongly blamed. Somebody gets wrongly accused. Somebody gets wrongly imprisoned and the tragedy is their story never really surfaces and we never really hear the bottom line, right? It's not just in culture, right? It's not just these things that are happening to people in culture. Just this week, I read this article about how the Chinese government raised, how they leveled this building where thousands of Chinese believers were worshiping. And you see all of this injustice. And Solomon says, everywhere I turn, all I see is corruption. Even in the places where justice should be served, Solomon says, the only thing I see is corruption. And it doesn't take much for us to see the same thing as we look around, right? Like You understand this. There's good cops. There's good politicians. There's good lawyers. There's good judges. But at the same time, there's bad cops, bad politicians, bad lawyers, bad laws, bad, bad judges, right? And it feels like the ones who are in position of authority and power to enact justice, oftentimes the bad ones use their power to pile corruption on top of corruption on top of corruption. I have a friend, one of my best friends in the world. He's a, he's a rep, house of representative, and he tells me often, very secretly, would never say this publicly, you would be astounded by the amount of corruption that happens in politics. And so Solomon's got this idea. He's looking around. Everywhere he sees is injustice. And, he's, and it's almost as if he wants to posture towards us. If you're insistent on every cause being settled under the sun, you're going to lose your mind. If you're insistent on every cause 
receiving justice, you're going to lose your mind. Why? Because sometimes righteous people get what wicked people deserve. And sometimes wicked people get what righteous people deserve. And so we've got this desire for justice. And Solomon's going to say to us, our desire for justice is never going to be fully vindicated under the sun, right? Regardless of our efforts. So in verse 17, Solomon, or, or the editor, if you've been around here, is going to posture to us sort of when we're going to be fully vindicated, when this desire for justice is really going to come to fruition. So chapter 3, verse 17 says this, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice there was wickedness, in the place of righteousness there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. And so last week, Tyler taught us on this idea of seasons, and Solomon's going to come back to that idea, and he's going to say, there is a season for judgment. And, and Solomon's going to um, put this stake in the ground where this major theme in the book of Ecclesiastes is going to emerge. Now listen to me. The only hope for justice, the only hope for justice is to hope for the day when God finally has his day in court. We look around and we see all of these things happening. We're like, ah, this, 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 demands, this demands justice. And in our hearts, we want these things to happen. But the only hope for full justice to ever emerge for humanity is on the day when God has his day in court. And by the way, if there's no God who sees all injustices that happen, if there's no God who knows everything that happens, and if there's no God who judges justly in the end, then listen, then there's no hope for justice on this earth either as well. So Solomon's written about all this hevel. Remember the word? All this absurdity of life. He's talked about wisdom and power and knowledge and work. He's written about all of this, all the ways that life is absurd. And after all of these ramblings, like, like it's like, it's like a, a boat adrift at sea, right? He's going here, and he's going here, and he's talking about obtaining things. He's talking about your work. He's talking about getting knowledge. All of a sudden, it's like Solomon is going to put a stake in the ground. He's going to drop this anchor, and this steam of judgment is going to emerge. Now listen, if you're new here this morning, welcome to a very difficult Sunday. If you think that we just choose difficult subjects and arbitrarily want to be like, boom, let's hammer them on this, I need to tell you, we don't, we don't choose subjects that way. We like to preach through books of the Bible, so when we come to things like this and themes like this, you don't think, see, there's the hobby horse, right? Like, No, we're just preaching what's in the Bible, okay? So this is difficult this morning, so listen to me. Solomon's going to put a stake in the ground on this theme of judgment. And this idea that Solomon is going to bring us to, it points us to a future time. Solomon had not seen it yet. The people that were living in Solomon's day had not seen it yet. But this theme of judgment is going to point us to a future time. It's going to point us to the cross where Christ judged our sins in the body of Jesus. Also going to point, when he talks about judgment, to this white throne judgment idea that we find near the end of Revelation. Where everybody who doesn't know Jesus is once and for all judged and sentenced to eternity in one of two places. And so listen to me. If you've got something to write with, just write this down. This is the idea that Solomon's going to drive to us, the full justice that all of our hearts long for. The full justice that all of our hearts long for is reserved for God alone in his time and in his way. Now, the, the beautiful part of 
participating in the redemption of all things from Genesis 3 to the end of the book until God wraps the whole thing up and returns us to the place where we originally were intended to be in Genesis is that we get to participate in some of these things. We get to participate in seeing justice happening in our world. But the reality is there are going to be moments and occasions and situations and scenarios and times when people die without justice and our heart is going to long for full justice to be served. And the reality is it's only going to happen in God's time and in his way and it's reserved for God alone. Now, he's talking about a future judgment. Let's, let's be very clear what Solomon is pointing us to. Solomon is pointing us to this future judgment that happens when life ends. And there's a lot of themes and a lot of ideas on what those look like in culture and philosophy and religion. And, and those ideas of future judgments, most of them conflict with what the biblical record and authority says about the judgment after life. Let me just walk through a few of those just for the very sake of helping you uh, be very clear in your understanding about what that judgment is. One of the views of the afterlife and judgment thereof is this idea of universalism. Universalism basically teaches that everybody ends up in heaven. There's no judgment known as hell. The second view of the afterlife that's fairly popular is this idea of annihilationism, which basically teaches that those who don't end up in heaven just simply cease to exist after death. Now, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 sort of refutes this idea. And Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In other words, Christians are going to be in heaven as long as non-Christians will be in hell according to the biblical record. Now listen to me. Jesus himself talks about this idea of hell more than anybody else and his teachings are very clear. John chapter 14, verse 6, for instance. That not everybody is going to experience the eternal life that God offers. He also says there's a narrow path, there's a narrow gate, and very few will enter. The third idea of this afterlife and the judgment therein is this idea of reincarnation and purgatory, which basically postures this thought that there's going to be a future opportunity after death for people to receive salvation. In other words, if you didn't do it right here, when you die, there's going to be a second opportunity. So why even take advantage of the opportunity now if you're going to have an opportunity then? But Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 refutes the whole idea, right? Hebrews 9, 27 says it's appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. There's this fourth idea of the afterlife and judgment called soul sleep. It's the teaching that there's this sort of intermediate state where the body and the soul are sort of dormant. They're just sleeping until the resurrection of the dead, right? But in Philippians chapter 1, Paul refutes that idea as well. He says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is to gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, meaning, in other words, if, I to, if I'm to go on to live, then that means fruitful labor for me. But listen to what he says. But my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. In other words, Paul has this idea that when I die, I will be in the presence of Christ. And he says, that is far better. This fifth idea of judgment after death is just what I call a cease to exist physically idea. In other words, it's a, it's a very common belief that, that you're never going to again occupy a physical existence and a physical body. Now, those are five of the most prominent views of what happens after you die. 
the ideas of judgment. Now listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says the body and the soul are separated at death. And the soul is in the presence of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. One day, the dead bodies in Christ will join their souls again for a physical, eternal life. John chapter 5, verse 25 through 29. I'm going to read that for you in just a moment, okay? For non-Christians, listen to me. For non-Christians, the record of Scripture is this, that following their life, their body will rest in a grave and their soul goes to a place of punishment where conscious eternal torment is experienced until their body and their soul are rejoined for a final sentencing of endless pain in hell. Revelation chapter 20. Now listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 25. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and is now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God those who hear, and those who hear will live. Verse 26, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming. Remember, this is Jesus. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and they will come out. And those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Now listen. I think innate and inherent in all of us is this desire for full justice to come on earth. We have it. You, and, and I'll describe that to you in just a moment and how you very personally experience that. But listen, Solomon is saying, I'm looking around and all of this evil exists and there is no justice for this evil. And the conclusion that he comes to and the conclusion that we have to come to is that for some, justice is never going to come in this life. Some people will die without justice. And this idea frustrates Solomon. And this idea should frustrate most of us as well. And the reason why it frustrates Solomon is because Solomon has this one view. And the only view he has is that under the sun. He can't see from God's perspective. He can't see on the other side of Resurrection Sunday. And it's as if Solomon has this idea, like if we can only see what's on the other side of the sun. And so he struggles. Solomon struggles to see how justice and fairness can be brought into this world. And you and I probably struggle the same way as well. If you have kids, if you've ever been around kids, if you've been a kid recently, you've probably heard a kid say this, that's not fair. You ever heard that before? I hear that often in my home, right? Like, like there's this uh, kids who are made in the image of God. They've got this conscience that God gives them. They just know, they innately know when their brother eats their donut that they've been thinking about the night before and it's all they could think about and they wake up the next day and three-fourths of it is eaten. They just innately know there's this universal cosmic principle that's been violated and they say, that's not fair. You know what I'm talking about? Or you have a kid whose friend steals their toy and they bop them on the head with the toy and they're like, that's not fair. Right? And so as we grow up, we trade these statements. We trade these statements from that's not fair to life's not fair. Right? Life's not fair. <clears throat> and so in this effort to sort of stop these injustices from happening, we organize. 
We organize into groups and communities and parties and nations and, and we organize in a way that we try to bring some measure of justice into the world. Isn't that why we, we have laws, right? Isn't that why we have courts? Isn't that why we have police officers? Isn't that why we have jails? That's why we, we have wars and capital punishment with the threat of retribution from the state if you violate those laws. The reason is because all those things exist is so that we keep some semblance of order. Those things are created to, to create some semblance of order because without the threat of justice, literally, Armageddon happens. All hell breaks loose without the threat of justice. But listen to this. Listen to this. Even those systems that are created, even those institutions that are set up that exist to restrain evil in the world we live in, they're a failure at times. They're a failure at times. Why? Because the system, the institution is only as good as the person who's in charge of implementing it. It's only as good as the person who's in charge of implementing it. There's this image from the civil rights movement in 1965 that has stuck with many Americans as sort of this symbol of injustice in America. In March 1965, you recall there was a march from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery, Alabama, where those who were marching peacefully were doing so in order for African Americans to have voting rights. They were also marching in demonstration of this man named Jimmy Lee Jackson who was brutally murdered. And so on March 7th, 1965, maybe you can remember the scene, maybe you've seen the movie Selma. Um, there were over 500 peaceful demonstrators who were watch, marching from one side of the Edmund Pettus Bridge to the other. You remember this scene? And as they get to the other side of the Edmund Pettus Bridge, there is a wall. There is a line of officers, those who were charged with keeping the peace. And you remember what happened at the end of that bridge. There are scenes and pictures from that moment that are etched indelibly in the minds of Americans that are symbols of injustice in our country. The New York Times the next day wrote this. The first 10 or 20 Negroes were swept to the ground screaming, arms and legs flying, and packs and bags were scattering across the grassy divider strip and onto the pavement on both sides. Those still on their feet retreated. The troopers continued pushing, using both the force of their bodies and the prodding of their nightsticks. From the hospital came a report that the victims had suffered fractures of ribs, heads, arms, and legs, in addition to cuts and bruises. And you remember what that day was called. Do you remember what that day was called? That day was called Bloody Sunday. And there's this image from Bloody Sunday of this lady named Amelia Boynton who's lying unconscious on the ground. That's sort of become this symbol of injustice in America. Do you know what strikes me when I look at this picture? Not that there's just an, an unconscious African-American woman laying on the ground, but the person who was charged with keeping peace in the moment, the person who was charged with keeping order in the moment is standing over her lifeless body. And it reminds me of what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14. There is something else that's meaningless and absurd that he says that occurs on the earth. The righteous get what the wicked deserve. And the wicked sometimes get what the righteous deserve. This too is 
absurdity. It reminds me that as a sinner, we don't have the ability to bring about ultimate justice to other sinners. We don't have that ability. Why? We can't. We can't because we're flawed in the process. Listen to me. We have mixed motives. We have selfish intentions. Now, let me try to illustrate that for you. Take your own experience, for example. When somebody sins against you, when somebody just does you wrong, you, 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 you can recall your own scenario. This happened to me this week. This happened to us this week. A guy who I call a friend, who I believe has said some things about me and said some things about our church, and instantly I wanted justice. I wanted to call him. I wanted to call his employer. I wanted to tell everybody involved, this is, a, this is not true. You see, when people sin against us, when people do us wrong, what do we want? We want what? Justice. Now listen, what about when you do somebody else wrong? <laughs> when you do somebody else wrong, whatever it may be, very rarely do we ever think of ourselves as doing wrong to somebody else. When we do wrong to somebody else, we don't want justice. What do we want? Mercy. We want mercy. So it reminds us that sinners ultimately cannot fully enact perfect justice on this earth. Why? Because the human condition is flawed. The human condition is flawed. And because of that, justice is inevitably abandoned by the systems that we create. That's the over-the-sun perspective. Our desire for full justice is never going to come to fruition. All of our hearts long for it. But the reason is because we have a flawed human condition. And inevitably, justice is going to be jettisoned. It's going to be abandoned because the systems and the institutions and the people in charge of them are themselves flawed as well. Now, when Solomon comes to that reality, listen to what he says. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 18, Solomon says this. And I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beast. In other words, he's, he, he's comparing us to animals. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the animals is the same. As one dies so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast. All is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust they all return. You know what Solomon's saying here? Solomon's under-the-sun perspective leads him to say, we're no better off than animals. They're predators. They're our prey. We devour one another, and then we die, and it's all over. Solomon can't see on the other side of Resurrection Sunday. We're going to celebrate that here in two weeks, and I can't wait. Solomon doesn't have an other side of Resurrection Sunday perspective. It's as if Solomon is saying, if, if somebody could just come back from the dead, if somebody could just come back from the dead to prove there's a final judge, judgment, there will finally be full justice for humanity, then we wouldn't have to fend for ourselves here in this social Darwinist world. 
Listen to me. But thankfully, even though Solomon never saw it, the Lord Jesus himself came back from death to prove to us that life exists after death, that sin and death and injustice are not the final word and that there is a new world on the other side of death. Why? Because of the justice of God on the cross of Christ. And it's as if the editor is coming in and reminding us that justice will happen, not fully in this world, but God will have his final day in court. And those things that your heart grieves over, God is a just judge. God is a just judge and he will have his day in court. Ecclesiastes 4.2, Solomon says this. And I thought that the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and he who has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. The editor seems to say, seems to remind us that death is, is like this relief from this unjust world, Right? When life comes to an end, we don't have to read the news, we don't have to read the notifications of another school shooting, of another horrific event, of another crime against humanity. One day, everything that's been unjust, everybody who's been harmed unjustly will not experience it again. We won't have to comfort the afflicted. We won't have to be afflicted in our uncomfort. Until then, the editor reminds us and tells us, we can live with injustice in the world. How is it that we can live with injustice in the world? Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse one says this. And again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Can't you get this scene? I, th I think of Amelia Boynton. And I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. The editor is telling us today, you can live with injustice in the world. And the first way you can do that is that you should comfort those who are oppressed. It's these tragic events that happen in our world when the news notifications and the Facebook notifications anger me. It's like immediately one side or the other immediately begins to justify why this should or should not have happened, what should happen beyond this moment. And I'm reminded that when injustice happens in the world, when people are being oppressed in the world, the greatest response is not an answer. The oppressed don't need another answer in the moment. They need empathy. They need presence. And Solomon says in a world of injustice, one of the ways that we can live with injustice is to comfort those who are oppressed. People just need somebody to sit with them, to grieve with them in the moment, grieve with them in their healing because the only thing worse than suffering is suffering alone. There's a lady in our church. She was here at the first service this morning. And I'm grateful for her. I've watched her over the last few months. She's been doing this with a friend of hers in our city whose boyfriend has, has probably suffered some things that didn't happen medically like the way this should have happened in the hospital. And I've watched this lady in our church literally put statements on Facebook and I know it to be true. She'd say things like, I'm there whenever you need me, just call. 
How can we live with injustice in the world? We live by comforting those who are oppressed. The second way, and I'm about to conclude, is this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 22. This is going to sound familiar if you've been here the last few weeks. It says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. For that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? As if the editor is saying to us, the scriptural teaching about life and death, those who have received the life that Christ offers and they understand that when all is said and done, when life is done, every tear is wiped from our eyes. Every eye and every evil injustice will be accounted for and in that moment, the kingdom of God will be seen in all of its fullness and there will be nothing peace and joy. And that begins on this earth. It's not just a future time, but there are glimpses of it now. And it happens for those, the moment they receive the spirit of God changing and transforming their life and receiving the gift that Jesus offers. It happens in that moment internal, internally. It happens externally as we participate in the renewal of all things from Genesis 3 to the end of the book. We're living in that season when we have glimpses of God restoring things back to the way they were intended to be, knowing with the expectation there's never going to be full justice in our world until the day where God has his day in court. But in the meantime, there are moments and occasions where I can live with joy because justice has been served. It happens internally the day we receive Christ, externally as we see these moments. But listen, it happens eternally the moment we stand before the just judge. And every injustice our heart has been grieved over. The just judge who died on the cross for our sins to defeat our rebellion with his redemption. There will be gladness. There will be hope. There will be joy. There will be peace. Can I ask you in closing this morning? Have you ever received the justice that God offers you in your state. We like to think of other people who have done things to us, but we never like to think of what we have done to them. And if you've ever had this moment where you thought, okay, God, maybe I have, there is injustice for me towards you. The Bible calls that sin. The Bible says our sin is an injustice to God because he is a holy God, cannot be in the presence of sin. Have you ever had that moment where you're like, God, my sin has been an injustice towards you. There's two ways we react. God, I'm going to do it better. God, I'm going to make it right. Religious people respond this way. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to give more of my money. I'm going to be a better dad, a, a better husband, better employee. God, I'm going to do it better. And I'm going to serve justice on you. I'm going to pay you back for the wrong things I've done to you. That's how religiosity, religion responds to that idea. Jesus, if he could stand on this stage today, I believe would say, that's not the plan. That's not the method that I had for justice to be served for your sin. The method that I had was your sin in my body taken on the cross and it was on that cross that I demonstrated my love for you 
that while you were a sinner and while you unjustly acted towards me and offended me with your sin, I gave the opportunity for that sin to be forgiven, for justice to be served. And it's not because you were a better husband, not because you were a better employee, not because you were a better church member. It was because I died on the cross for your sin. And if you would trust that very act and believe the gospel, full justice can be enacted between me and you. There's no more penalty. No more crime that needs to be atoned for. No more sentencing that you need to take because I have taken the sentencing in my body. Have you ever come to that moment? One of the, one of the things about living in this post, post-Christian, secular culture that we live in is that there's so many confusing ideas about religion. If I just do it better, God, I'm gonna be a better person tomorrow than I was today. And God, hopefully you will look at that and you will outweigh and say, God, whoever you are, you were just better than you were bad. And, 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 but in this religious culture that we live in, this religiosity that we live in, listen to me, Christ is screaming out through the scriptures to say to us, that is not the method of justice that I've offered you. It's much simpler. It's much more loving than that. It's me in my body on the cross. Have you ever trusted that? Have you ever come to that point in your life where you've just surrendered, you believed that thing? Have you? Listen, I wanna be very clear. The last thing we want to do as a church is to lead you to a place where you believe this religious idea that if you just be better, everything is good with you and God because ultimately you're never going to just be better. We have a flawed human condition. Christ is screaming out. His blood is screaming out. What we celebrate in two Sundays is screaming out. The empty grave is screaming out. The empty grave is calling out. I've enacted the sentencing, the punishment for me. Justice has been served. Believe it. Trust in it. Joy, peace, hope, happiness, it's yours. Have you ever trusted that? We don't often do this, what I'm about to do, but there's no way to... There's no way to come to a passage about judgment and what happens in the afterlife and full justice without saying, would you give your life to that? Not religion. We don't need any more religion. Religion splits churches apart, splits families apart, splits businesses apart, splits countries apart. We need Jesus and the gospel. That's why we exist as a church, to point you to Jesus. That's it. That's alone. Not so we can have jobs. Not so there's activity in our, in our community. Not just so people can experience hope and joy. Uh, we do that so lives are transformed by the reality that Jesus died for you. Have you trusted that? I want you to. I beg you to. And in the meantime, justice that we all long for God's going to have his day in court God's going to have his day in court and my prayer for you our prayer as pastors is on your behalf standing before Jesus with a full heart of joy and peace everlasting knowing the justice of God has been served for your crime your sin your injustice towards God the only way that happens is trusting in the gospel, trusting in what Jesus has done. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes.
hard to come to a passage like this in scripture and not ask you, beg you, to trust your life to what Jesus did on the cross. Would you do that today if you've never done it? You don't have to do it multiple times. This is not a, not a confessional booth that you have to continue to go back to in order for you to be clean before God. This is a fina- finality. There's finality in this moment. Romans 5.1 says, we have been justified by faith, a legal term, watershed moment. We've been justified by faith in Jesus, not by works. Have you ever been justified? Have you ever come to before God and said, God, I acknowledge that there's been an injustice on my part towards you. My sin has offended you. You say the same thing about 1 John 1. My sin has offended you, God. I recognize that and I acknowledge that today. And I recognize that even if I'm better tomorrow than I was today, that will not resolve the issue of injustice I have towards you. Have you ever come to this point where you looked in the mirror and said, God, but I desire a solution for that problem. Christ would look back at you and say, I demonstrated my love for you. That solution is offered to you when I died on the cross. If you would believe that in your heart, trust that in your life. This is a watershed moment where eternity changes for you. Have you ever done that? I beg you to do that. How does that happen, Pastor? nothing magical or mystical about it. We don't stand you on a stage, make you say anything you don't want to say. We simply bring you to a point where you simply acknowledge that before God and say, God, today, I want to be saved. I want the problem of my sin to be solved. Jesus, would you forgive me? I turn from my sin. The Bible calls it repent. I walk with you because of this clean slate, the, the love and the forgiveness that you've offered me. Jesus, today, would you do that for me? never done that, I beg you this morning to have that conversation with God. I'm not going to bring you on the stage, make you say anything you don't want to say. But if that's you this morning, can I ask you to do something for me? I want to know who you are. Why? Because the believing life, the Christian life, is not a solo flight. You don't do this alone. It's a community journey. We want to help you to begin to walk with God. Begin to understand the scriptures for what they really mean that's you this morning and you've come to that point, would you just do me a favor after the service at the connect table? Here's what I want you to do. Would you just grab that connect card at the bottom of that connect card that says, I've trusted my life to Jesus today. I want you to acknowledge that. We want to follow up with you and help you to begin this journey with Jesus today. Lord, God, thank you that you don't leave us to our own ways to resolve conflict and injustice between us and you. God, thank you that you loved us enough, infinitely. You demonstrated it on a cross, on a bloody, cruel, painful cross where you took our sin and resolved the issue for us if we would just trust it. And may many in this auditorium today trust that their lives be transformed by you today. In Jesus' name, amen.